morning, Mars Hill family. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 2 today. Grace and peace to all of those online. We're so glad you're with us today. In the Shed Bible, we're on page 632. We're looking at Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 6. In the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Ashley, and I get the honor and joy and privilege of being one of the pastors here at Mars Hill. I want to begin this morning with a bit of a scenario for you. You have to wait somewhere for 60 minutes, but you get to choose this morning. You can either wait for 60 minutes at the DMV, Mm, exciting, or you can wait for 60 minutes in a line for a ride at Disney World. Bold ask now, if you'd rather wait in line for an hour at the DMV, Would you please stand and make yourself known? Okay. A few few brave folks still in the minority, however, thank you. I won't pass the mic around and ask you why. I'm not going to ask you why. But there's just a few of us. Why is it that an overwhelming majority of people with us this morning would rather wait in line at Disney World than at the DMV. Well, let's talk about your average DMV. This is not every DMV, just your average one. First, you're likely there alone. The worst ones are dimly lit, and all the chairs are the uncomfortable brand of plastic. You're sitting. That's it. There's rarely any artwork 
on the walls, any interesting to look at besides other anxious and frustrated drivers. Here at the DMV, you're not a name, you're a number. And every once in a while, an employee treats you and your number as if their job isn't to renew your license, but to renew your misery. <laughs> Disney, on the other hand, chances are you're there with other people, at least one person that you really, really like, at least one in the mix. And these people know you. Even if it's raining or the line is long, there are these fun interactive displays along the way to keep everyone occupied, helping to build your collective anticipation for what's to come. Instead of sitting, you're moving towards something. Something exciting that someone paid a lot of money for. And at the end of the day, the payoff is not a rectangular piece of plastic. It's a thrilling adventure on an attraction at the happiest place on earth, so they say. <laughs> both, both scenarios require a wait. But the waiting looks drastically different. As we find ourselves on this first Sunday of Advent, it's fitting to ask then, what does your waiting look like? What does your waiting look like? We're calling this series Waiting because Advent is the time that the church finds itself remembering and yet still anticipating the arrival of the fulfillment of God's promise. From its Latin origins, Advent means to come into, just as Christ came into the world. So just as the Israelites waited for a savior, we too wait and hope for Jesus light of the world. However, this season isn't just a holdover until Christmas. As priest and author Fleming Rutledge reminds us, Advent is not simply a transitional season. It differs from the other seasons in that it looks beyond history altogether and awaits Jesus Christ's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Advent contains within itself the crucial balance of the now and the not yet that our faith requires. The scripture that Susie read for us is a text that invites us to wait but in particular ways, ways that make our waiting distinct as the people of God. What should our waiting look like? We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning unpacking a few of these distinctions from this text in Isaiah. First of all, quick story. A couple of days ago, I refused to open my email because I knew that these emails we're all going to be pointing to one thing and to one thing only. 
products. Just pro just stuff. Shop now and you will get 50% off. Open ASAP and we'll give you free shipping on the stuff. Problem was, all of those promises, all of those wills were conditional. I would have to act quickly, spend money, shop now in order to benefit. But note what this vision from Isaiah points to in verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. Eleven times in five verses, this text points to promises that Isaiah saw prophetically coming to fruition. It's also mirrored in Micah chapter 4. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. It will be exalted. Nations will stream to it. Peoples will come. He will teach us. The law will go out. He will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes. They will beat their swords into plowshares. Nation will not take up sword, nor will they train for war. What we see promised here isn't a product based on our action, but a promise based on God's agency. The waiting of the church, our waiting as the body of Christ, isn't simply for a doorbuster deal that will one day waste away. Our waiting is for an eternal promise, one that points to perfect justice and lasting peace. That sounds lovely, doesn't it? The only problem is it's a picture of a projected future, not a right now reality altogether. It's a picture of future healing, not the pain that you're experiencing today. It's a picture of future conflict being resolved, not today's severed relationships. It's a picture of people of different generations, ethnic, racial, and socioeconomic statuses working together in the future, not today's gender discrimination, racial profiling, or predatory practices used against the differently abled or the elderly. It sounds good, but it also sounds far off. Advent reminds us that sometimes when it comes to the promises of God, where there's a will, there's a wait. The will, the promise exists and therefore we have hope to hold on to, but until then we wait. The first distinctive of our waiting should be that we're waiting with God's will, with God's promises. And so my first question for you this morning, Marcel, is are you waiting with God's will, with God's promises in mind, or are you waiting without it? 
Our second distinctive has to do with place, the where. Place matters. It matters if you're waiting at the DMV or Disney, doesn't it? As such, the central location of this text is not a mistake. We find ourselves here at the mountain of the Lord's temple. Or some versions call it the mountain of the house of the Lord. Remember, mountains were places of worship. We think of Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments of God. Mount Gerizim, where this encounter happens with God before the Israelites entered the promised land. It was the place before they entered. Mountains were places of worship. Where was the mountain of the Lord's temple located per our text today? It was in Jerusalem. The picture Isaiah shows us is one where the presence of the one true God would be exalted head and shoulders above any other rival sanctuaries of any other rival gods. Forget Space Mountain. Isaiah tells us that the mountain of the Lord's temple will be a global attraction of its own. Here's what's unique about this mountain that we see from the text. First, the whole world can be found here. What's curious is that the peoples who are streaming there call God the God of Jacob. This was a particular name that indicated a particularly special relationship with a particular people, Israel. And yet, we're told, if you look in your Bibles at the second half of verse 3, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we have a particularism that goes out and attracts the world. Second thing about this mountain, it's not just that it attracts the world, but people will come to encounter God's presence voluntarily. All nations will stream to it. No one will have to be forced or manipulated there by pastors, by God's people, or anyone else. So it causes me to ask, and perhaps causes you to ask, what was so compelling about this mountain then that encouraged people to write home and spread the word? I love how the message version of this text says it. He'll show us the way he works so we can live the way we're made. If there's room for grief in this Advent text, for me, there's a little bit of grief that I, that I confess here. For me, it's that we don't always, I don't always live into or out of the way that I, the way that we were made. We hurt one another from our own wounds, we're stingy instead of generous with our joy and affection, if not our finances. We're egocentric instead of selfless, individualistic instead of communal. And so the where of this promise matters. Because here, even though a messianic king 
is not explicitly mentioned in these verses. Not only is the place of God's presence established above all other places where lesser gods dwell, but God will be so kind as to teach us. God will be so kind as to teach us to live the way that we were made to live. What does that mean? Well, as nations come with their disputes, God judges and God settles them. So this doesn't mean that all conflict has already ceased by this point. People are showing up with conflict, but God teaches the people how to live out the way that they were made. And one of those ways is that God will judge and then settle those disputes. As a result, those who come with swords or spears, watch this, they won't trade in their weapons. It's not like their weapons can be left behind to be discovered by somebody else later. He doesn't ask them to trade them in. He says, we are going to transform them. Your swords, your weapons, the instruments of domination used to perpetuate nationalistic power will be transformed into plowshares or shovels, into pruning hooks or gardening hoes. With these tools at this mountain, Eden has returned, as one author writes. Eden, a picture of harmony and relationship between God and God's creation, between humankind and itself. At this mountain, God's ultimate and preferred picture of us living the way we're made is not with nation's tanks and guns. It's with gardening tools. It's with gardening tools. The way we're invited to wait in this season, friends, isn't just for a string of days off or for warm holiday fuzzies that you can find in your peppermint cocoa. Our waiting as a Jesus people knows God's promises, the things that God says God will do, and our waiting knows the where. Our waiting knows the place. If you could imagine your life as a series of snapshots snaking around a queue, who is there with you? What's happening in your midst? And where is it all headed? The question is, does that where mirror this mountain? Where your life's trajectory taking you mirror the picture of the mountain that Isaiah gives to us here. Finally, this text extends an invitation. Verse 5. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Notice this invitation isn't to the world out there. 
all y'all heathens walk in the light. That's not what this says. No, it's to a particular people, the house of Jacob. It's as, it's as if this picture was laid out so that they could start living into it. You know, I wonder if many of us have adopted, sometimes myself included, a passive Advent kind of waiting. Like we wait with expectation, but without movement. Like we've adopted a Mayerian theology. If you're wondering who Mayer is, that'd be singer-songwriter John Mayer. He wrote this song, Waiting on the World to Change, back in 2006. Great tune, but it's a sorry Advent hymn. Here's just a clip of the lyrics. And when you trust your television, what you get is what you got. Because when they own the information, oh, they can bend it all they want. That's why we're waiting, waiting, waiting on the world to change. We keep on waiting, waiting on the world to change. And this was before Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Truth Social. It's easy to just think, well, there's nothing I can do with that dumpster fire out there, so I'll just wait and decorate. I'll wait on the world. It is what it is. But the invitation of this text isn't that. It's people of God. Let us walk. Let us walk. I'm still, after years of observing the Advent season, scratching my head and asking what it actually looks like to wait and to walk at the same time. One of the other texts for this first week of Advent is Romans 13. And if we start at verse 10, we see Paul leading with love. He says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us, he doesn't say this, but he's telling them how to walk. He says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing or frivolity and drunkenness or indulgence, not in sexual immorality or sleeping around and debauchery, not in dissension, bickering, or in jealousy. Rather, he says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. The day is almost here, he says. There's urgency in this text. It calls to mind what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 24. Keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Marcel, allow me to encourage you. We are waiting, 
But we're not waiting at the DMV. We are awake and we are walking. We are encouraged to keep doing so. We're waiting while we learn how to become better neighbors here in Granville and in Grand Rapids. We're waiting while we're growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Our staff, just over the last few weeks, walked through this resource from Colossian Forum around how to become more like Christ as we engaged the midterm election. We're waiting, but we're walking in generosity. You'll soon hear an update on the coats our community collected for kids and local schools in the area. In this Advent, our waiting should look different from the way the rest of the world waits. Our waiting holds on to God's promises, the wills that he puts before us. Our waiting knows its destination, its preferred future. And finally, our waiting walks. In which direction are you walking? Are you walking at all? Are you sitting still in an uncomfortable chair out of fear or apathy? Or are you inching ahead slowly but expectantly because you know that holy and hopeful mountain, the attraction that lies ahead? As we move to the table, I remember Jesus who went up on a mountain. Beginning of Matthew 5 says that when he sat down, his disciples came to him. His disciples came to him. And it says he opened his mouth and he taught them. Remember at the mountain, God will teach them. He taught his disciples. But then after the Sermon on the Mount is finished... We get to the end of chapter 7, and the text says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. Crowds had gathered in the meantime. When he came down from the mountain, the great crowds followed him. So it reminds me of this reflection on Isaiah 2 that one author writes, the central place the people are coming to is Christ. He is at the center, Mars Hill. So may we have faith in the steadfast promise of God, the mountain that is Christ. He is God's promise, God's will, and his where. As we wait, may we humbly walk toward that mountain in his light. So I say, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. In a spirit of thanksgiving, would you pray with me? How right and a good and joyful thing at all times And in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you and we join our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. 
holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would descend upon this meal. Would you nourish us? We who wait, would you nourish us by these elements? Give us the strength and the courage and the humility to walk forward toward Christ, our good and strong mountain. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So it was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So at this time, church, we recite this mystery of our faith. It's a, it's a mystery that we share with all those who will one day find themselves streaming to the mountain. We proclaim it in faith with those who have gone before us, those who are here now, and those who will come. And that mystery is this. That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So all is ready, church. We have gluten-free elements if you're joining us for the first time. In the middle of the aisles, you can find your way to one of those tables. We have Bennett and Brian who are in the back, ready and willing to pray with or for you to hold the tension of the season of waiting with you. Um, they would love to pray and intercede on your behalf. And we also have candles as well as little prayer cards. If you stick them in the wall, our staff would be honored to pray for you as we do each Tuesday. Again, all is ready. Come receive who you are, the body of Christ. <laughs> 